Join us again Fridays at 9 p.m. Italian hour. The best. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli knocking out the second hour. And we're going to start a little bit by uh, talking about the World Baseball Classic. And a lot of, a lot of people have, have admitted that they have a hard time kind of gravitating towards it or embracing it or kind of just enjoying it at all. But I'll tell you, as a, as a baseball fan, I think your diehard baseball fans will get a chance to enjoy a lot of what's going on here. And I think... You know, the first round or so probably is a little tough to watch. You look at the pitch counts of a lot of pitchers are on and stuff like that, and the fact that, you know, they're really kind of getting themselves to a point where they're not really throwing hard, not really going all for it. When you could say the hitters are kind of just going out there trying to perform to the best of their abilities, the pitchers are still working on their stuff. It's still spring training for them. But now as you get into the second round, and as you get to the semifinals and the finals, I really do think that the pitchers are kind of airing it out a little more than they were before. And I, to me, a game like tonight, when the U.S. is going against the Dominican Republic with the winner going into the semifinal round of the World Baseball Classic, uh, and, and I think I think it, I think it's some, it's something that is a must-watch for a diehard baseball fan. I think a lot of people will be like, hey, well, you know what? I just transition sports. I go from baseball to football to basketball to hockey. And right now it's still basketball and hockey season. Well, you know what? Stay over there. But for the diehard baseball fans, the ones that love the game, the ones that are looking for something to watch, are looking for something to embrace, you, you have to appreciate what's going on with the heritage for the countries and how much these players really do care. And if there wasn't an example of seeing how much these players care about playing for their respective countries. Look at what happened the other day, you know, be, you know, after last show and before this show, so we got to touch on it a little bit. Canada and Mexico getting at get going at it in an all-out brawl. Not even a little dust-up where they're just sitting here uh, separating each other when a couple people are arguing. There were there was there was plenty of fists being thrown around. I mean, you look at through the video uh, if you if you watch either on YouTube or ML, mlb.com You'll see that there's there's about four or five isolated fights in that brawl between the Canadian uh, the Canadian uh, World Baseball Classic team in Mexico, and it all could have been prevented. It really could have. And a lot of people want to get into the uh, understanding of the rules, or what was what what the rules should be, or should they be changed uh, for next time? I think I think the players got to grow up and realize what what the rules are. I mean, this Luis Cruz guy could not have made more of a fool out of himself when he went out there and you know showed that it was a clear indication that he did not understand the rules going into the baseball classic because that that you know uh, the Robinson guy who was button for a base hit with the team up, you know, by a substantial amount of runs, he's he's not trying to run up the score to stick it in Mexico's face. They're potentially running up the score. Because that's one of the tiebreakers. 
And, and the fact that this guy is out there blatantly telling the pitcher to throw at the next batter is a disgrace. Number one, that the etiquette from that, from being right out there in front of everybody, where everybody sees you on TV, the fans are looking at you. There isn't a person in a ballpark that didn't know what he meant when he pointed to the batter and told the pitcher to throw at the next batter. So number one, that part is wrong. The guy was an ass just for that alone. But throw in the fact that he did not understand what the rules were. He did not understand that that bunt single to score a couple extra runs could have saved Canada's uh, you know, opportunity to move on to the next round. It makes this guy look like an even bigger ass. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I actually, I hope, I hope that, you know, as time goes by, the karma catches up with him. And, you know, I, I would hope that a team would not want a player like that on their team. And then for this pitcher, who is so unknown that we don't even know his name. What was his last name? Was Leon or something? I mean, I mean can a guy, can a guy do what he, what he's trying to do? How many pitchers does it that takes three times to friggin' hit a batter? I mean, after the guy points out and essentially lets the other team know, lets the Canadian team know that you should throw at him, and you obviously throw a ball inside and, and you miss. Obviously, indications are you're trying to throw at him, so you try again and you miss again, and then you try a third time and you finally hit him. I mean, number one, uh, do you have any control? I mean, I mean, can you trust? Can you trust this pitcher to go out there and throw at you if he can't even hit a batter in the back when he's trying to? I mean, it's kind of kind of silly, and you could tell and you could see it, the passion. And honestly, if you're a baseball fan, listen, you don't love to see players going out there throwing punches and trying to trying to essentially hurt the other team. But I'll tell you, it showed that both teams were passionate. It showed that both teams cared about going on in the next round. And you know, if you see you see and, and honestly if you're a, if you're an organization and you got major league players that are in that game, you're probably looking at them like the Dodgers are looking at Adrian Gonzalez like saying, "Please don't please don't start throwing punches." I mean, Oliver Perez, who's pitching for the Mariners, looks like he's got a spot locked in their bullpen this year, is looking to try to get at somebody. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't help things with him considering he may be a borderline cut. But I tell you, these guys are going out there, and you could tell that they're going for it. You could tell that, they, that they, they really care about what's going on. And, you know, watching the game last night between Italy and Puerto Rico, listen, I, I'm sure it wasn't a ton to watch. The first five innings of the game, to me, seemed like they, they were never friggin' getting on. But you see uh, Team Puerto Rico coming back. They end up pulling out the win. They end up staying alive with Italy having to go home. But, you know, it ends, you know, what's kind of a Cinderella run for the Italian team. A team that wasn't expected to really do a whole lot. And they, they had some big wins in their bracket. They obviously made the second round and very, very easily could have won, you know, yesterday's game and were in it, you know, in a game against uh, the, the, the Dominican Republic. And I'll tell you, it was a it was a, it was a good a good chance a good shot for for them. I mean, if they pulled off this win, it would have been I think it would have been historic because you look at the amount of uh, players on the Italian team that aren't 
um, either affiliated with the major leagues or on a team with a chance to have a significant part from a major league team. And I tell you, it would have been nice to see them pull that off, but Puerto Rico, you know, certainly has the advantage talent-wise. You know, you got a team that's got, uh, you know, Yadier Molina and Carlos Beltran and guys like that on your team. You obviously have an advantage talent-wise. And I think that's something that, you know, you have to look at and you have to say, listen, you know, maybe the better team won, but I tell you, it would have been nice. It would have been, it would, I think it would have been great for baseball to see a team, you know, with so many guys. And I, yes, yes, the Italian team has Anthony Rizzo. And I think Anthony Rizzo is going to be a hell of a power hitter. He's going to be a very good staple of first base for the Chicago Cubs for years to come. But I tell you, it would have been nice to see that team full of players that aren't either in the major leagues or affiliated with major league teams. Maybe taking that shot. And it'll be Puerto Rico playing the loser of this game between the, uh, the, the United States and the Dominican Republic play tonight. But we're going to put that on hold. I'm going to welcome into the show Danny Garcia. Danny, you there, buddy? John, how are you? All right, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. You got it. All right, man. Hey, uh, what's what's going on with you, man? You still playing nowadays? No, no. The last year that I played was uh, was 2007 up in uh, in New Jersey in the Atlantic League, um, and then I've been on actually the exercise side lately with the last three years with the Seattle Mariners. Okay, man. So, so what what are you doing? Like strength and conditioning, kind of helping people out, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. We uh, we call it the performance department there. Um, I'm actually not going to be going back for my fourth season, um, so I'm setting up shop here in Tampa. But uh, that's where I've been uh, the last three years out with Seattle. Now, that's pretty cool, man. So is that is that something you're looking to do? Looking to kind of use as kind of a second career for you? Yeah, I think it's pretty much kind of already rolling in that direction. It's been about five years since um, since I've been involved on that side. Ah, that's pretty cool, man. Of course, Dan, Danny played, uh, you know, a little bit with the Mets in 2003 and 2004. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how you got started coming up with the Mets, and you know, if you feel like you you really got your shot to play in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing experience to be able to uh, say that you accomplished your dream. Um, you know, it, it's a roller coaster. It happens fast. Um, you know, my story, it happened real fast. Um, so it's kind of uncommon. Um, kind of got in in there and out of there real quick, unfortunately. But uh, you know, everybody with the Mets, especially uh, my my start up in Brooklyn, um, got a lot of love from the city up there right away. And and uh, you know, there's nothing better about playing baseball uh, when you're feeling comfortable. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with uh, Danny Garcia, former infielder with the Mets. I played with a couple different organizations. Now, now, tell us a little bit about specifically 2003. And the reason, the reason I'll get into this a little bit is, you know, the Mets in 2003 were not very good. Did you feel like you should have gotten more, more of a shot to play a little bit for them to see a little more of you throughout those couple seasons? Uh, you know, I, um, you know, most likely the reason why I did get a few looks was because. Um, you know, we were definitely in a rebuilding process um, as an organization. But, um, you know, I, I, what I spent about almost a year there, and uh, the time that I did spend up there, I played about half of the time. So I got a, uh, I got a good little look. You know, I think I, think I would have continued to get looks if, uh, if my body would have held up. Now, now that's what happened? You kind of you broke down or you had a little bit of injury problems? Or, you know, is that, is that really what kind of did you in? Yeah, in uh, in 2005 spring training, um, when uh, when the Mets let me go, the uh, the Indians picked me up, and then I ended up uh, tearing my labrum in my throwing arm 
um, about two or three weeks later. Missed the entire 05. Um, came back with AAA with the Yankees in 06. Um, just wasn't the same that year. I needed another year of recovery. And um, it happens fast, you know. Uh, the game is, uh, you know, a little bit, what have you done for me lately? And, and they need uh, they need it now. So um, injuries are definitely a tough part of the game. Yeah, it definitely is, man. And I tell you, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you're on that stage at that time. And, yeah, you probably you probably think it's something that could last forever. And then I'm sure in a blink of an eye, it could just, just be gone. I mean, it's a, it's amazing how that happens. Absolutely. That's that's pretty much how it happened. Now, now as you as you move forward, you you know, you recover a little bit from your injury. I said I think you said the last time you you, you really played was 2007. Was there ever another spot where you really felt like you you had a path to the major leagues or was all a long shot kind of, you know, going through the rehab process? You know, at that point, I I, I got the feeling pretty good in 2007. I had a heck of a first half. Um, you know, in terms of thinking from the Atlantic League to the major leagues, I don't think I necessarily was thinking that quick, but um, the goal at that time period was just to get back into uh, affiliated baseball, you know, get a double-A, triple-A job, and uh, and make one more good run at it. Uh, there was a small temp time period where I thought that might be a possibility, um, but uh, but then once again, towards the end of that 07 season, my body started to give out again, ended up um, going down with a, uh, with a knee uh, a slight knee surgery, you know, not too major, but a, a meniscus, and uh, and so this story, uh, the story just kind of played out once and uh, all over again. Yeah, now it's kind of sad how it ends up happening. Now, as, as you're as you're coming up, you know, is there is there anybody that you you kind of look to as being like, uh, let's say, somebody you either look up to or somebody that really kind of helped you along the way? Yeah, you know. Um, just so many people along the way, you know, you got, you, you got to, of course, start with your family and just, uh, you know, the, the people who, who, uh, helped you fall in love with the game. Um, and, uh, you know, and then just guys like in terms of, you know, coming through the Met system that really touched me, uh, Hojo, um, Ken Oberfell, um, at the big league level, those are obviously coaches, um, when I was there and then player wise, you know, guys like, uh, um, uh, Todd Zeal, he was amazing. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of really really good down to earth people. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, we weren't having a little more fun up there at that time. Yeah. Now, 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 listen. Looking back, you know, was there? Let's say you 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 know you, you get a chance. You're kind of moving through like you know the Yankee system a little bit with the Indians and stuff like that. Uh, did you ever? Did you ever kind of have uh, let's let's say like doubts of like maybe like what what a, what am I doing here? You know, as far as trying to come back from your injuries, or was it a situation that you were just going to kind of ride it out as long as you could? Yeah, no way. I, I never had that mentality. I was, uh, you know, it was something that I wanted, you know, wholeheartedly to uh, to take another run at, especially especially getting a taste of it. You know, a lot of people, their, uh, their mentality is, um, you know, you made it. Oh, my God, it's so amazing. You made it. But uh, once you get a taste, the only thing you want is more. So, um I definitely, I uh, definitely never, um, never uh, had any, um, you know, glass half empty mentality there. It was always full speed ahead, and let's try to do this thing one more time. All right, Danny. Listen, best of luck with what you're doing with the strength and conditioning and stuff like that. And yet, you know, you ever, you know, you, you ever get something really rolling, uh, you know, feel free to contact me. We'll definitely, uh, you know, I'll help you get the word out. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That uh, that might be a possibility here in the near future. All right, man. Listen, best of luck with everything, and thanks for uh, thanks for having some time today. You got it. Have a great night. Yep.
as Danny Garcia, and Danny Garcia was uh, part of the Mets in 2003-2004. And what we remember about that is, uh, you know, I know it's hard being a Mets fan and looking and saying, hey, this year wasn't good because, you know, you're coming off of a season or two or three or four that aren't, weren't very good. But the 2003-2004 uh, the season was kind of the end, the absolute end of what was the Mets' last run that they had before they built the team back up with Omar Minaya and the free agents and stuff like that. And, you know, you remember the 2003-2004 were also the Art Howe years. And that was after Bobby Valentine was was uh, made the scapegoat for uh, the team that didn't perform in 2002. And I thought that was a terrible job by Steve Phillips. And Steve Phillips, listen, I'll give Steve Phillips credit for the fact that he never he never gave in. He went out there and gave you everything he got. You could tell he was making moves. He wanted to make the team better. He went out there and got the best possible players. But they didn't work out. And you got you got to be accountable. You got to look at the mirror. You got to face the music when things don't work out. And the 2002 season was an absolute disaster. And you look at the moves that were made, bringing in Roberto Alomar and Mo Vaughn and all, all those players. Now, I, I, as a Met fan, will look at that season and say, I, I was excited going in. I liked a lot of the moves that the Mets made. I remember when the rumors were going out that the Mets may trade for Mo Vaughn. I was in favor of it. And listen, I, I may, maybe I should eat crow over it. Maybe you should look at me like I'm nuts, like I'm crazy. But I was in favor of it. You know, you look at the former AL MVP. I know he's coming off of an injury. But here's a guy that could go out there and hit 30 home runs for you. And you already added Roberto Alomar, who's obviously a guy on the path to the Hall of Fame. He is in the Hall of Fame now. But looked like he had about three, four, five more solid seasons that he could play at that elite level. And that was a season that I was excited about. Not, not, the, not the off season that you know, Met fans like to look at now where you say, hey, is this team going to be good in the next five years? I thought that team was going to be good right then and there. And I remember watching it. I remember, and, and let's, let's be honest, you're coming in, you're coming out off the 2001 season. Everything that happened with 9-11 and Mike Piazza and the whole thing. And you kind of get a pass. You kind of look at that team and you say, all right, we give them a pass. They struggled up until that point. They made a good push in September, faded at the end, and ended up falling short. But you say, hey, everything that happened with 9-11 and then that season, you get a pass. Remember the year before that, they were in the World Series. You know, two straight postseason appearances for the New York Mets. First time that ever happened in the history of the franchise. So you go into there and you go into the 2002 season and you figure that they're going to go out there and make a couple bold moves. And I'll tell you, from the perspective of Steve Phillips, and listen, I'll blast him as much as I can because I don't think overall he was a very good general manager for the Mets. But that offseason, he did everything he could. And may not have made the best moves, but nobody could have expected Roberto Alomar to play at a level that he did. I mean, it was a guy, 30 home runs, a 320 season with the Cleveland Indians before. I mean, tell me you, that you could have been a New York Mets fan and not been fired up, excited, going crazy over a move like that. I mean, I mean, that had to be something that had to be inspirational. It had to be something that you really wanted to go out there and see. But it didn't work out, and move on didn't work out. And the other moves that they made, bringing in players like Jeremy Burnitz and Sean Estes, and you know the list goes on of all the different veteran players that they brought in there, and it didn't work out. 
after the 2002 season that the mix wasn't good. And Steve Phillips throws it all on Bobby Valentine, which, listen, he had the opportunity to do because he was the general manager and he never hired his own manager before, so he had a chance to do that. Bobby Valentine became the scapegoat, which, you know, if you look at Bobby Valentine's career, particularly in the last season with the Boston Red Sox, he's an easy guy to make it as your scapegoat. But in the end, it was about what Steve Phillips did or didn't do. And, you know, to hold Bobby Valentine accountable and just simply saying, all right, this team's going to get better. Wilson, he made a couple bold moves the next offseason, bringing in Cliff Floyd and Tom Glavin. And those, and those players contributed, let's be honest. I mean, they were, they were both on the 2006 team that eventually made the postseason and took the St. Louis Cardinals to seven games in the NLCS. But, you know, who, whose fault was it? I mean, those, the, the, that group in 2003 was not very good. And you knew halfway through the season when Steve Phillips lost his job that that group, the team that the Mets had put together at that point, was going to get worse before it got better. And 2003, they were, they were bad. 2004, they started out a little bit better but were bad after that. You know, with Kaz Matsui, the whole thing. And it wasn't until Omar Minaya essentially did the same thing in 2005. Went out there and brought in high-profile players at a price. Bringing in Pedro Martinez and Carlos Beltran. And you know, it wasn't until he added Carlos Delgado and Billy Wagner a year later where that team was good. And listen, it didn't last very long. No, it didn't. The 2007 collapse, listen, I don't want to go through the whole history of the New York Mets. It's not very good. It's not going to make anybody happy, including myself. So we're going to put that on hold, and I believe we're taking in Seth Etherton right now. And Is this Seth? Hey, John. How are you? All right, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes today, buddy. Uh, no problem. No problem. All right, Seth. Uh, what's going on, man? Are you still, are you still involved in the game at all or not? You know, I am. I just got back from uh, Winter Ball about six weeks ago at the end of January. Um, I played in Venezuela for a regular season. I got picked up by a team in uh, the Dominican. I went and played over there in January to about, about yeah January 25th and um, got back and uh, now I'm just kind of, I'm looking for work. I was, I've been applying to major league teams just for some sort of coaching or front office type stuff. And uh, in the meantime, I'm doing private lessons through my academy out here in California. And um, I'm actually got hooked up with a company by the name of Hyper Ice, which is a brand new icing technology for athletes and or just for anybody for any joint or muscle aches or anything. It's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. It's brand new technology, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it seems like it is. And it also seems like that, you know, when you're when you're done pitching, you know, you got you got something else to kind of fall back on. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, um, you know, I, I want to stay involved in baseball. That's the bottom line. I think that's where my niche is. I feel most comfortable. And I, I tend to – I like coaching. I, I enjoy teaching kids and, and other – professionals and um try to help out as much as i can now no question about it now seth of course you were uh you were drafted in the first round by the angels in uh 1998 uh tell us tell us a little bit about from that point forward in your rise until you eventually made your debut in 2000 yeah um again it's one of those things that was almost too good to be true being being drafted by your home team they grew up watching going to the stadium and being a southern california guy and you know playing at usc uh being part of the Angels organization was great. Um, 1999 was my first professional season, full season, I should say. I played double A and triple A, had a great year. 
Uh, possibility of getting called up that year didn't happen. Um, shortly thereafter, I was sent to Puerto Rico to go play some winter ball with the chances of possibly making a rotation out of spring training the following year. Um, had a great spring, uh, great winter ball down there in Puerto Rico. I played for St. Thursday and um, played with uh, the likes of Ariel Prieto, Jose Cruz Jr., guys like that, so some established big leaguers. And uh, that, that league at the time was, was pretty stacked. Jorge Posado was down there, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, Carlos Beltran. Um, so it was a... Uh, it was a great experience, and then you know, to be able to pitch in that type of atmosphere and um, get the experience, obviously facing good, you know, the best hitters basically in the world, um, to bring in the spring training, and I had a good spring. However, um, I did not make the rotation. Had a good spring, and start off in AAA. Did well for the first month and a half, and sure enough, they called up. I believe May 20th of uh, 2000, made my debut in Kansas City. Now, I tell you, man, it must have been something to just kind of be, you know, a Southern California guy and then actually get a chance to go out there and, and you know, make your, make your Major League debut for your hometown team. I mean, uh, the, I can't imagine anything being better than that. Yeah, no, it, you're exactly right. It was, it, was, it was kind of surreal. You know, now I look back on it, you know, I was 23 years old at the time, 36 now. So um, looking back on it, I really didn't know how good I had it. Um, you know, leaving the stadium and driving 30 minutes back and living with my mom, that was it. And it was pretty crazy to uh, have breakfast with her and brothers and sisters and stuff. And then um, I'd take off and go pitch at the stadium, you know. So it's kind of – I still felt like a kid at the time. And um, to be in that, that kind of position was, was pretty special. Now, now that, that being said, was it, uh, was it a little disappointing when you ended up leaving that team? Or, or, or did, did... Well, you know, I had, I had arm, arm troubles at the end of uh, 2000. I, I was overused um, that first full season, then going to Puerto Rico, straight into big league camp. So I, I ended up throwing a little over 400 innings straight. With wow. The rest. So um, it kind of took its toll. And in August of 2000, that's why I came down with an injury and it was diagnosed as tendonitis. And then uh, first day of winter meetings, Bill Stoneman called me and uh, told me I was traded. So... Very, I was very shocked, and it was for a double-A shortstop, who I think hit around 240 that year. So wow. kind of confused, didn't know what was going on. But um, nonetheless, uh, I was excited to go to Cincinnati and um, you know see what that was about. So obviously, when it, I, I later found out that whenever you're traded, it's, it's for the better because obviously a team wants you more. So um, I took that approach to it, and uh, you know they welcomed me with open arms, and I got to play there for four years. And um, I left Cincinnati unbelievable people uh dr kremchek out there did an amazing job through my surgeries uh, he got me three times shoulder elbow and knee so i still a little pitch from those from those on and um you know guys like lonnie soloff and mark man those, those people they they uh they, they really helped me through everything with with my surgeries and my recuperation and just the city of cincinnati and um the, the great fans and obviously we got to uh I got to be a part of the Great American Ballpark opening, so it, it was great. Um, Love Cincinnati. Uh, unfortunately, my time in Anaheim was done. Yeah. Now, listen. As you as you move forward, you know, you obviously you you had to go through some you know some tough injuries. You know, you know, obviously not be at a point where you were you were kind of nervous uh, as far as being able to come back for it, or were you reassured enough that what you were going through there was enough uh, rehab you could do to get back on your feet? Well, that was the thing. You know. Um, 
I trusted Dr. Kremchek and, and Lonnie Soloff, my physical therapist, 100%. They told me that it's going to be a grind and you're going to be tested, but uh, I couldn't get through it. So, I mean, it took me two full seasons to get back to uh, pitch in the big league. So, um, really, it, it was it was tough, more mentally than physically. I think anyone who's had shoulder surgery or Tommy John, it's the mentality of it that beats you up every day because some days you feel good and some days you feel like you never picked up a baseball before in your life. So um, with that said, I trusted them, and, and I busted my butt. You know, I, was, I was rehabbing twice a day for the first six months of my surgery, and, and um, it was tough. However, you know, I always stayed pretty positive with myself. I had, had a good cast um, of guys with me that, you know, for moral support and things like that. So, not, you know, for the most part, I knew I was going to have a new shoulder and um, ready to come back and uh, contribute to the Cincinnati organization. Now, now, how did how does how did it feel? Did it did it feel to a point after you were you were fully recovered? Because they say a lot of times with operations like that, that the arm kind of feels like it's it's like new. Was that the case with you, or did you feel like you were just kind of maybe back to where you were before? Uh, with the shoulder, shoulders a, it's a different animal. When you do when you deal with elbow, yes, only because of the therapy that you do to it. Yet you're you're reconstructed. However, it's the attention that you put on it from the elbow standpoint. Um, Shoulder's different. There's so many mechanisms. that It goes every which way. So many muscles and tendons and things that are involved in ligaments that uh, my arm has never been the same. Um, however, it got to a point where I was able to be comfortable um, and throw and not feel pain. However, in, in my, was my velocity ever back? No. It, you know, I, I've been down about maybe one or two miles an hour. Um, but, you know, I learned so much more. The the learning aspect of it was huge because I learned a lot more about my shoulder, how it works, more about my mechanics, and um, really how to take care of myself better, how to prepare better um, physically and mentally. All right, now so so about what you're up to now. Do you are you are you looking to make another comeback towards the major leagues? I would love to keep pitching. I would. However, you know, organizations um, they just feel that. I'm too old, you know, 36. However, I know I can go out and throw 200 innings a year, whether in AAA or the big leagues, um, and be in given quality starts. I know that. Uh, I still get on to Venezuela and pitch for the last four years, and I do very well. And um, there's a reason why I get, keep on getting contracts to go back down there and play. Um, I'm healthy. I'm durable. I work hard. And, uh, yeah, that would be a great dream. However, um, in reality, is it going to happen? Probably not. I, I think baseball has made a change in terms of really promoting youth, which is great. Um, however, guys like me or, or even a little younger than me that have that six-year free agency and have big league time, that they're kind of um, they're they're way more expendable now. They're, they're not, you know, organizations aren't going to pay you that much in AAA, um, and you know they just figure that they'll they'll take the young guys through and have them you know, take their bumps and bruises along the way. So, which is which is a great, great opportunity, a great time for these young guys to get up there and um, see what it's all about. Yeah, no question. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with uh, Major League Pitcher Seth Etherton. Now, now, Seth, as you as as you as you're looking in your situation now, you want you obviously want to get back to the major leagues, but let's say the worst case scenario that this doesn't happen is is there is there a moment that you look back in your career as far as being let's say the pinnacle or maybe your best experience in the major leagues um you know i, I think 
that first year at the Angels was great. You know, I got to play under Mike Sosha and Buddy Black was my uh, pitching coach with Mickey Hatcher and Ron Renneke and you know that whole staff was amazing. Um, you know, you know, I talk to a lot of kids that I teach now and they don't remember who Mo Vaughn was. <laughs> they don't, you know, they the Garrett Andersons, the Tim Sams, they don't remember these guys. And I, I think it's I think it's pretty amazing that these these guys were you know, very good major leaguers. And, you know, Mo Vaughn with the reputation he had in Boston and coming over to Anaheim was pretty amazing during those times. So, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to be able to play with those guys. Um, again, But, again, I look at my Cincinnati uh, career and my times there, you know, I became very good friends with Griffey Jr. And, um, shoot, got to play with one of the most professional guys I've ever met in Perry Larkin, uh, the great Sean Casey, you know, Pokey Reese, Aaron Boone, and, you know, guys like that. It's just, and it, it was amazing. I got to come up with with the rising of Adam Dunn and Austin Kearns, and um, it was great. Had to have a, I still have a lot of great friendships with uh, people from Cincinnati. So, um, I think all in all, those first five or six years of professional baseball, I, I can really look back on and say that those are probably the best years of uh, my baseball career. Nah, it definitely seemed like they were, man. Well, listen, hopefully there's there's some more in the future, man. You keep up the good work and. Uh... Yeah, hopefully somebody, the right guy will see you and you'll get another shot to pitch in the major leagues, buddy. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. And no problem. Take care, Seth. Bye-bye. All right. That was Seth Etherton, pitcher for, you know, pitched with the Angels, his hometown where he was he was drafted. Ends up uh, playing some time with the with the uh, Athletics and the Reds. And he obviously hears some trials and tribulations there. Wish him the best of luck. Hope he's able to make the proper comeback. But, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with a lot more stuff going on in the Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, after this. You're listening to MTR Radio, powered by MTRmedia.com. A flipping out radio production. Flippin' out radio.